We read the first chapter of Jeremiah, taking our text from verse 5. We hear the inspired, infallible word of God. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the, even, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the first month, fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, What seest thou? And I said, I see a seething pot, and the face thereof is toward the north. Then the Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come. And they shall set every one his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem, and against all the walls thereof round about, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. Thou therefore gird up thy loins and rise, and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city, and an iron pillar, and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. We take verse 5 as our text for the sermon this morning. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. 
Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Jeremiah was a prophet of God who was called to minister to Judah. He was ministering to Judah during the last years prior to Judah being taken into captivity. Now, prophets cannot be created by man. God makes men prophets who in time are equipped and trained by the means that he provides in order that they might take up the important labors he ordains for them. Jeremiah faced a daunting time period. He would have to be king, or he would have to be prophet to kings who despised the Lord, who wanted to hear nothing of God's will and God's ways. He was privileged to be a prophet for some 50 years. And during that 50 years, spanning a time, during the last kings of Judah, all the way until they were taken into captivity and Jerusalem was destroyed, Jeremiah pressed on in that work. Now you know that sometimes Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet. There are men who were martyrs, who lived for a few years, faced opposition and were killed because of their faith. Jeremiah was opposed and yet lived for 50 years under that kind of opposition. And he continued, had to continue to press on as a prophet of the Lord. Understandably, Jeremiah became discouraged. Jeremiah asked questions. Is it worth it? Why do I need to keep doing this? God gives Jeremiah immediately at the outset of his ministry this encouragement so that in his discouragement, this would be the place to which Jeremiah again and again would go back. God called me. God is the one that formed me already in the womb for this purpose. And God is the one who knew me and equipped me for this work. This is not something I've chosen. It's not something I've picked to do. This is something that Jehovah God ordained for me. And therefore, I need to press on, believing this is His work and this is His will. What a beautiful encouragement. God comes to Jeremiah and says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Not just that God knew about Jeremiah. God knew Jeremiah with a knowledge of love. And God sanctified him. And God called him even before he was born. Now this text also has application for you and for me. As members of God's covenant and people. We face opposition. We face discouragement. God is faithful. This is the faithfulness of our God. To raise up in these evil times a prophet whom he would then give the strength to persevere. This is a sign of God's faithfulness toward his church. God is so faithful that he's already at work in the hearts of children in the womb ordaining for them a place and a calling in His service. And we take application this morning, not only to the, the beautiful encouragement here, but also specifically to the application to us and our children by the grace of God. Jeremiah was a child of the covenant. Our elect children are born as members of God's covenant and kingdom. We administer baptism 
to these children as a sign of the covenant. We don't do it because it's merely something that we decide is a good idea. We do it because God is the one that instructs us to give this sign to our children. Why does God instruct us to baptize our children? Because children are also included and incorporated into the covenant of God. Because God already in the womb is at work in our covenant children. The Lord who formed and fashioned Jeremiah in the womb is the Lord who also forms and fashions our elect children in the womb. Knowing those children, those grandchildren, before they were even born, with an intimate knowledge of love and commitment, sanctifying them and appointing them to a special place of service in His kingdom that we're not aware of yet, they're not aware of yet, but which God will strengthen and equip them unto. Known before we were formed. We take that as our theme. Noting the meaning, the result, and the calling. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. This is the main point of the text here this morning. And everything else flows out of that phrase. This is the personal, eternal knowledge of Jehovah God for his prophet Jeremiah. And it's God himself speaking. Jeremiah is simply recounting. He's remembering God's words to him when God assured him of the call to be a prophet. This is a personal word of God about his knowledge of Jeremiah and broader than that, his covenant children from eternity. Now we know the wonder of God's miraculous creation of man. On the sixth day, God created and formed man. The word form is a word that's taken from the craft of a potter. As a potter takes his clay and forms and fashions it. God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. When God formed Adam and when he formed Eve, God formed the whole of the human race in principle in them already. So the whole of the human race is found in Adam and in Eve. God ordained precisely the exact number of people that would occupy the whole of time. God ordained the precise number of the elect whom he would take to be with him in glory. And all of them would come out of Adam and Eve. Now we confess that God works a marvelous wonder at the moment of conception. God forms every child in the womb of his or her mother. Conception and birth are the wonderful work of God. God taking that sperm and egg and bringing them together and causing those cells to divide so that a little child develops and grows in the womb and at nine months is ready to live on its own outside of the womb. Every part of that child is there, ready to grow and to mature. And even before that child is born, that one looks like a baby, has all of the form and all of the fashion already of that little baby. It's a wonder of wonders. Now the most wonderful thing about that is that 
It can't be explained in any other way than a work of God. This is the most marvelous creation of God. How does this come to pass? How is this possible? Only a fool would attempt to explain this from some natural perspective. A piece of flesh, perhaps merely, in the womb. A piece of flesh that has no connection with other cells that's able to be killed at will. That's not the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture emphasizes every life has its origin in God's counsel, in God's mind. But then, in time, God implants that one within a womb, and God gives everything that's necessary for that one to grow and that one to increase. God ordaining everything according to his counsel, according to his purpose. Forming specifically now Jeremiah before Jeremiah was ever aware of it. And forming everyone who's ever lived before even they were aware of it. We know other Psalms, Psalm 139 and other passages extol this wondrous work of God. God's work in the womb. God working that wonder of conception, that wonder of growth, and that wonder of the development that takes place. We confess that Jehovah God is supreme. He is sovereign over all of life. He's the one that gives life. He's the one that works that wonder. And he's the one that ordains the place and the purpose that every single individual occupies in the world. That's not fatalism. God creates man, women, in such a way they're responsible before God. And yet, God is the one ordaining their place, their purpose, and the whole course of their lives before even they were born. Now regarding this wonder work of God, we stand in awe and reverence. And we confess this applies to every human that's ever been born, ever been conceived. Jehovah God, the creator, the fashioner of every one of them, preparing each one for the specific role that he occupies or she in the world. But even more wonderful is his loving work in the hearts and lives of God's children. Adam and Eve sinned. The whole human race was cast into sin and destruction. God rightly could have stepped back and allowed the whole human race to perish. He did not. In love, God had ordained to himself a people whom he would save through Jesus Christ. And that wonder of God's love in the works in the hearts of his children is especially here on the foreground. Not just in general God's care for and God's provision of life, but specifically now with regard to the wonder of predestination and election. That God is the one who chooses to himself a people already from eternity so that in the womb it's already evident to him who they are and the place and purpose they will occupy. And God references that wonderful work when he talks here about an eternal knowledge of love. Before I formed thee. That's a reference to eternity. Before there was any personal union of cells in the womb of the mother at the moment of conception. Before that, God knew Jeremiah in his counsel. And God ordained now that he would bring Jeremiah to be born 
and that Jeremiah would have a purpose in his life. God knew Jeremiah specifically with an intimate knowledge of love. And that knowledge is on the foreground here. God informs Jeremiah, I knew you before you were formed in the womb. Now what does God mean? Not just that he knew who Jeremiah was or who he would be. Not just that he knew about Jeremiah. God knows about all mankind. And God has, again, ordained the purpose and the destiny of every man, woman, and child. God knows in his counsel the day of their birth, the day of their death, the boundaries of their life, every detail of every person that ever has lived or ever will, ordained by Jehovah God. Everyone whom he's fashioned. But again, that's not the idea here. God is talking here about a special knowledge of love that he does not have for all, but for some. And he's talking here specifically about that knowledge of election. Election is taught clearly in the Old Testament. And here is a passage that demonstrates that. The word know often extends in the Bible to a knowledge of love, personal commitment. Adam knew Eve, and she brought forth a child. It's an intimate knowledge within the marriage bond, a knowledge that's personal, that has a commitment, even a sexual aspect to it in terms of mankind. God said to Israel in Amos that God knew only of Israel, of all the families of the earth. Now this is what God meant. There were many families in the earth. God knew of them, but God only knew Israel. Because he only knew Israel in this special knowledge of love. This knowledge of commitment. This knowledge according to election. By which God had established covenant with Israel in Jesus Christ. That's what God is speaking of here. That he knew Jeremiah personally in that knowledge of love and commitment before Jeremiah was even born even before he was formed in the womb. This is the eternal knowledge of love by which God determines to bring some to salvation and eternal life in Jesus Christ. We think of other passages in the Bible that speak of this wonder. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Moreover, whom God did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. God knew us with a knowledge from all eternity. And in time then, he chose that we would be born and that we would live in this life and that we would fulfill those purposes he had for us. That's the kind of knowledge that God here is speaking of. He knew Jeremiah with that knowledge of love and commitment to him. We make application to ourselves, beloved, by God's grace. God knows all his elect, and all his elect children of believers with that knowledge of love and commitment. As believers, we belong to God's covenant. And that covenant is a covenant of friendship and love ordained by God in Jesus Christ. He knows us with that intimate love and has a purpose for our lives. It's out of that love we live. It's out of that love that we serve Him, that we delight in the things of His kingdom. And it's because of that knowledge and because of that commitment that we respond 
and that we live unto him and show forth his praise. That love goes all the way back to eternity. It's not anything of ourselves. It's nothing that we deserve. It's nothing that we've done to make ourselves worthy. God loved a people. And he chose them, not because of anything of themselves, not because they were greater or more in number, not because they did anything to single themselves out. This commitment of love is a wonder of God's grace. Gracious, unconditional. Now the fact that that not only includes me, but my children and my grandchildren is a wonder of wonders. That Jehovah God looks upon me and is able to say concerning me this causes me to stand in awe. But Jehovah God doesn't just say it with regard to me. He also includes our children and our children's children. As believers, we stand in awe of God's covenant faithfulness. We baptized children of believing parents this morning. Not just because of custom, but because we believe this is the command that God lays upon us. We are to give the sign of the covenant to our children. Baptism is that sign of the covenant. Baptism pictures the washing of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. How can we enter into God's covenant? Only through the washing, the cleansing of our sin, by which God brings us into that relationship of friendship and love. God will have the children of the church baptized because they're also included in the covenant and the kingdom of God. We can be assured that God knows our children. And we pray that God knows our children in that way that God knew Jeremiah. Now we know there's exceptions to that. Born into the covenant also are Jacob's, but also Esau's. Esau was not loved by God. Known of God, his life ordained and planned by God, but he was not loved with that intimate knowledge of love and commitment. Esau never knew the Lord. God promises to give us children whom He has ordained to eternal life in Jesus Christ. And that we're to receive those children as God forms them in the womb and gives them to us to hold and to embrace. And that we view those children then as such. We don't view those children as ungodly. We don't view those children as reprobate until they prove differently. We view our children as those who are chosen by God to everlasting life until such a time as they demonstrate differently. We discipline them. We demand of them that they live out of that life in which God formed them and to which God called them. And we set before them the wonder and the beauty of this work of God. There are times they get discouraged. Times they're frustrated. Perhaps they get discouraged and frustrated about their own ability, their own lack of ability. Perhaps it's the circumstances and situations of life. And we direct them to this wonder. This is who you are. This is the purpose that God has for you. A purpose and a love that He had. Regardless of any gifts or any abilities that you had. He loved you. He loved you from eternity. And now... He ordained everything in your life to serve the purpose that He ordained. He's the one who gave you the gifts. 
He's the one that didn't give you other gifts. He's the one that puts you in relationships or doesn't put you in a relationship. He's the one who ordains all of these things in love for His glory and for your salvation. I sanctified thee and I ordained thee as a prophet, God says concerning Jeremiah. Sanctified and ordained. To sanctify means to be separated unto the service of Jehovah God. To sanctify is to make holy. And the idea here that Jeremiah, already in the womb, is set aside by God to be devoted to the service of Jehovah God. Separated from sin, devoted to what's right and what's good. There are those who do not serve the Lord, whose lives are going in a separate direction. Those whom the Lord sanctifies go in the direction of the will of God and pursue God's will. They seek service in God's kingdom. And that's what God did to Jeremiah. Those who are sanctified or ordained or appointed an important place of service in God's kingdom. Nobody could take the position of prophet themselves. Nobody could say, I'm going to be a prophet. It was something that one had to be ordained unto and had to be set aside and prepared for. Jeremiah was set aside and prepared when already in the womb. When God eternally chose a people as his own, and committed himself to them, he didn't just choose a group of disorganized people. He chose to himself a church. And he chose to himself a people who would be a body, who would have many members, not just as a group of individual parts, but a beautiful unity. And God would give them that role and that place that they might work together and that they might live together in the pursuit of the things of his kingdom. Now in Jeremiah's situation... That role that God ordained for him was to be a prophet. And with a view to him being a prophet, God was already fitting him with what he needed within the womb. The Lord had a specific message that Jeremiah would have to bring. God had a specific task that he would have to occupy. He was going to be a prophet, as we noted, of sorrow, of mourning. For 50 years, having to teach and to preach with very little fruit with tremendous opposition. The Lord formed him in the womb so that he would have the precise personality, the gifts, the spiritual ability, and the inclination for that work. What a marvelous wonder. Humbling this is, beloved, that God, in the womb already, prepared and equipped us for the things that we would face and for the service that we would take up in the Lord's kingdom. We think of how we can see that in concrete ways in the Bible. For instance, David. God desired that David would write Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. In preparation for David writing that psalm, God made David a shepherd. So that David would know sheep, so that he would interact with sheep, so that now the one who writes that psalm is the one who's been sovereignly prepared by God and equipped to now write that psalm with meaning and with significance. God desired that David write Psalm 102, a psalm of affliction and sorrow. How could David write write that without being 
forsaken by his son Absalom, forsaken by his trusted counselors, having to experience grief and sorrow upon sorrow, so that now, out of the depths of his heart, Psalm 102 is written. We could go on and on. God ordaining individuals in a special way and directing their lives with a view to the work to which he would call them. The Apostle Paul giving him instruction and training of the highest caliber in order to equip him to be the missionary to the Gentiles. Before even born, God having planned and ordained the whole of his life and the way in which he would serve Jehovah God and equipping and preparing him. And then in time, ordering the various experiences and situations of life that would serve that purpose. That's the wonder that we stand before. The sovereignty of God with regard to the whole of our lives and the lives of our children. And God already in the womb with a knowledge of love, ordering that and sovereignly ordaining it. Now in that connection, the question often is asked, when does the work of regeneration take place? The wonder by which God gives new heart, gives new life to his elect children. When is someone born again? Some would say they're born again at the moment of baptism. That when the water is sprinkled, then that accomplishes a wonder by which now they're given a new heart and they're given a new life that's from above. We reject the external power given to the sacrament as though the sacrament accomplishes that kind of a wonder. And we teach rather that regeneration is immediate. That is, it is not dependent upon means. Others would tie regeneration to the preaching. The fact that one is called by God. And then upon having been called, that person now is given new life. We insist regeneration is the first wonder. It's that which God implants in the heart of the sinner who's entirely passive. And we insist that the order of salvation that is regeneration, calling, faith. It's not calling and then regeneration, and then faith. No, regeneration is first. It's the wonder by which God implants new life in the heart of the elect dead sinner. That one has been chosen by God from eternity, but he's dead, dead in sin. And now God implants new life within that one, without that person even being aware of it, depending on nothing in that person's life. That wonder... God performs already in the womb. And this text would serve as proof of that. That Jehovah God, before even His elect children are born, without any means, implants within them that new life that's from above. And so that then after they're born and they come under the power of the preaching and they come under the instruction of their parents, they grow in their understanding and they give evidence that they love the Lord, that they pursue the things of God's kingdom. As that new life now comes to expression through the means that God has ordained. God implanted that new life already in the heart of Jeremiah in the womb. And God then brought that seed to expression upon birth and upon maturity. God knowing Jeremiah 
and already in the womb, working the wonder of regeneration, so there was a, never a time in his life when he was not receptive to spiritual things. And so it is often with those children that are born within God's covenant. But more specifically here, God already in the womb ordaining Jeremiah to be the prophet that he would be and occupying the place that he would occupy in God's covenant and kingdom. We can make application to our own lives, to the lives of our children. God chose to himself from eternity a church formed in his own mind as a body with every individual member occupying an important place, a place that none other could occupy. And God then, from eternity, ordaining that every one of those individuals would be born and would be equipped for that place that they would occupy. That place is a place of service. When God sanctifies us, He separates us unto His service and equips us for His glory. Now, Jeremiah's position of service was a prophet. He was a mouthpiece of Jehovah God. And he was to go forth, and whatever God commanded him, he was to speak. And God said, don't be afraid of their faces. I am with thee to deliver thee. And God touched his mouth and gave him that assurance. Not only have I called you, but I've equipped you now to go forth and preach. You're my prophet. That's just one of many different places and professions to which God calls His children. God calls us to be His servants in the midst of this world. He calls us to be prophet, priest, and king on His behalf. And no matter what our profession, whether it be teacher, a farmer, a salesman, a nurse, a doctor, truck driver... We are called to serve Him in the capacity in which He places us. To serve Him for His glory and for His honor. Whether we're married or single, divorced, with children, without children, have health issues, have no health issues, all of this, sovereignly ordained by God, used by Him for the service to which He calls us. And as we stand before Him, we are humbled. Who are we? To be called by Jehovah God, the sovereign God of heaven and earth, to such a glorious service, a service ordained from eternity, a service that has significance and meaning in terms of God's covenant and God's kingdom. And God gives us our labor so that we abound in that service and so that we show forth His praise. The Lord forming you and me, forming these little children, with that place of service in his mind and forming every one of you in the womb of your mother so that you would be perfectly fitted already with the gifts, the personality, everything necessary to occupy that specific place. No mistakes. Ordaining everything perfectly. You look back and you say, but I wish I would have had this. I wish I wouldn't have this. I wish I didn't have this genetic deformity. I wish I... No, Jehovah God sovereignly ordaining all according to His perfect plan, making no mistakes. And so we pray to Him, we cry out to Him, direct our path. We acknowledge our lives are not our own, they belong to Him. We are not to live 
for ourselves. We're to live unto Him. And we show forth His praise. Beloved, that's the truth that's set forth in this passage. A humbling and glorious truth. You have purpose and you have significance in God's kingdom. And I do. A significance that God ordained from eternity and that God will see to it will be realized in time. Now, specifically with regard to Jeremiah, God makes reference to the nations. I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God doesn't say that he gave Jeremiah to speak about the other nations. He's going to do that a bit. He prophesied about them. It's not as though God here intends by this word to say that he's saving every single individual out of all the nations, as though the word goes forth now as a saving word to all nations. The word of God will go forth to the nations. And Jeremiah here is given indication of the Catholic nature of the church. Again, in the Old Testament already, God making clear not only the doctrine of predestination, but also the doctrine of his church being gathered out of every nation, tribe, and tongue. God speaking of his abiding will to gather to himself his elect out of all nations. And that's a glorious work. It's a work by which God unites every tribe, every nationality on the basis of Christ and the wonder of the cross. How men try to unite different races and how they try to accomplish inclusion and they try to bring different peoples and different races together. Jehovah God accomplishes that wonder marvelously and mightily sending forth his prophets to the nations in order to bring about the wonder by which his church is a Catholic church. And so the word of God here is a abiding word about his covenant. And about that covenant, God says, my covenant is diverse. My covenant is not just with the Jews. It's not just with the Dutch. My covenant is a diverse covenant that is made up of individuals from all the nations. God ordaining from eternity to gather to himself a people as a Catholic church. Before you even had existence, God had the whole of your life planned out for his glory. How that would honor him, how it would glorify him, and how you would serve the purpose he ordained. Now, God comes to Jeremiah with this word, and it's important for Jeremiah to hear this. Jeremiah's life's ministry is going to be challenging, to say the least. Jeremiah is going to feel like a failure, as we do so often. Men may fail. Men sin. Women sin. But God will not fail. And God's purpose will prevail. Because this is God's work. And God is faithful to his work. And so a calling, beloved, comes to us as parents. We are duty-bound to train up our children in the realities of God's covenant and God's salvation. God lays upon us the calling to teach our children the fear and the honor of Jehovah. So that they know the Bible. And so that they know the things of God's kingdom. To teach our children that they belong to God. Their lives are not about themselves. It's about the service of God. 
And it's about pursuing His will. So that when our children leave our homes, they know the Scriptures. They know the teachings of salvation in Jesus Christ. They know the wonder of their sin, but also the forgiveness that is in Christ. And God holds us as parents accountable. When your child left your home, did they know the Word? Were they familiar with the truth? We teach them the Scriptures, and we teach them the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ, the reality of sin, the wonder of God's grace, how to live every aspect of their life thankfully, to live their lives serving God, not self, teaching them to pray, Thy will be done, not my will, Thy will be done, teaching them to live for God and to submit to His will, which alone is good. And as parents seeking to emulate that in our walk and in our conduct, we're not pursuing what we want. We're not pursuing our will. We are submitting ourselves to God's Word by our example, by our conduct. Laying before our children the wonder of the service that God has for them, the privilege that is theirs. Laying before our children the value that is theirs, that from eternity God set His love upon you and God called you now to be busy in a work that has to do with gathering His church and defending His church and preserving His church now and to all eternity, praising and magnifying and glorifying Him. Talking with your children about that wonder. They feel like failures sometimes. They don't have the gifts. They don't have the... God didn't make mistakes. God knew you didn't need that. Instead, He gave you this. Encouraging your children to make sanctified choices. Teaching them to trust God to open and close doors. And to press on through discouragement and through trouble with this encouragement. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee. As parents, we provide that instruction in our homes. But notice the baptism form mentions or cause or have them instructed by others. Our children belong to the church. As members of Christ's church, we have a duty and a calling to teach our children the truths of the covenant. And so we do so through the preaching, but we realize that the preaching is not always understood by the little lambs. And so we provide catechism instruction in the Word, geared toward the level of our little lambs. For some of our older children, that training is in the confessions and the creeds. As parents, we see to it that the church is providing that instruction. As elders, we see to it that it's being supervised so that the pastor is diligently providing that which is in accordance with God's will. And we realize that as society becomes more complex, the church also sees a need for Children to receive instruction outside the home, in Christian schools. There are exceptions, of course, as some need more personalized, more individual instruction and training. But churches have encouraged parents to band together to form schools where those children can be taught. And the schools hire teachers who have been professionally prepared to teach, who have excelled in their disciplines, who can stand in the place of parents in order to train them. And those Christian schools have been a tremendous blessing to covenant parents in equipping the children, the young people, to understand their place and their calling before God. 
God using these means, that of the church, that of the home, that of the school, to bring these children to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to see their sin, to waken them to that knowledge and that awareness, to direct them to the wonder of the cross, and to give them to see their calling to serve God in thankfulness, thankful obedience, that God is to be praised in all things. What is God's will? What is God's will for me and for my life? Hard questions. As our children struggle with these and as they grow, we seek to bring them answers, but especially humble obedience and submission to God's will. Acknowledging you are who you are by God's grace. And now your calling is to live unto Him. Not to carve out some career for yourself independent of God's will. Submit in everything to God's will and to God's way. Now we are sinful. We are weak. As parents, we're humbled. We look back and we realize we did not give the example that we ought. But we lay hold on God's covenant promise and on this glorious truth. The salvation of my children is God's work. And God is the one performing this wonder. Even before we were born, having ordained it from eternity, and in time working it by His Spirit in their hearts. In the face of the challenges of life, God works courage. Jeremiah, as he wept, pressed on, knowing this is God's word, this is God's purpose. Hereunto have I been called. There are times when, as parents, filled with sorrow and discouragement, we want to give up, but we rest in God's word and God's will and God's promises. At times, the opposition that we face in our lives is intense, but we look to Him who will strengthen us to be faithful unto death. And you children... Young people, this is the wonder that God speaks concerning you. God has known you from all eternity. God loves you and is committed to your life and to your salvation. Coaches, parents sometimes, friends, teachers may not appreciate you. You may feel sometimes as though you're somewhat rejected and you don't have the gifts that you desire to have. Your heavenly Father has ordained the whole of your life from eternity and is working to bring you into the glory of heavenly life where you're going to occupy a place no one else can. What do you think about that? Isn't that remarkable? We don't become proud. Instead, in humility, we humble ourselves before God. We pray for His guidance. We pray for Him to lead us. And we strive diligently to be busy in His service, looking to Him, confessing Him as our Lord. And we treasure the wonder of God's goodness. We look to Him in prayer, and we trust that He will lead us and He will guide us by His grace. The certainty is based upon His work of grace. We don't take that for granted. 
God is giving us all that He gives us now in terms of parents, relationships, instruction, teachers, Christian education, so that we might grow in faith and so that we might excel in that calling for which He has ordained us from all eternity. This is God's work. And God is at work in our lives. And we find joy and delight in pursuing His will and submitting to Him. He will open doors. He will close doors. We continue to look to Him who calls us to His service. We are not the servants of the devil to walk in lies and filth and depravity. We are the children of Jesus Christ called to live out of that life of holiness sanctification, joy, and love. And by God's grace, we look to Christ, knowing the forgiveness that is ours in Him. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, what great things Thou hast done for us. Strengthen us in the joy and the wonder of our salvation. Cause that we might ever, in humility, be thankful and that we might walk humbly and obediently before Thy face as children of the light. Amen.